You're listening to a message from Christian Life Ministries in Coventry, a dynamic, growing church in the heart of the nation. We pray that God will speak to you through this word and impact your life for His glory. We are fast approaching the end, as we've heard of our Finding Strength series. And if you've missed any of the previous weeks, then I want to encourage you to please visit our website, www.salemchurch.co.uk forward slash media, where you can access the previous messages in this series. And I'm sure when you do that, you will be blessed and encouraged as you listen. It is my privilege this morning, as been mentioned, to bring the penultimate teaching in the series. And if you're taking notes, then the title for today's message is Finding Strength Through Worship. Finding Strength through worship. And the, the main text that I'll be drawing from this morning will be the, from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 8, from verses 40 to 56. Uh, so if you turn your tablets uh, to that or your devices, whatever you use to access the Bible, or if you've got a physical Bible, uh, then please turn to those pages as well. We will get to that at some point this morning um, in our message. Um, I want to begin by making a, a, a statement, uh, which is I discovered over a number of years that meanings are in people and not in words. Meanings are in people and not in words. How a person perceives and understands a certain word, situation, thing, or other relevant experiences in his or her life is what makes its meaning. So when I say the word worship, for example, um, I know what I mean by that, um, but I'm not, not sure if we mean the same thing. So let's define for a moment what is worship. What is worship? So now, when we hear the word worship in church, what usually comes to mind um, are the songs that we play and sing like we've done this morning already, um, or the ones that we listen to in our cars and our homes that help us as we seek to encounter the presence of God. Um, now, music and songs can be powerful sources of strength and encouragement, uh, especially when going through times of stress, anxiety, or worry. Uh, and there are many biblical examples of this, as well as corroborating scientific evidence that demonstrate the pow powerful positive effects of music and singing when facing challenging times. I'm sure we'll all agree and attest to that. Um, the Blessing, for example, by Cody Kahn's and Curry Job and Elevation Worship is one of those songs I believe the Spirit of God gave to us at the onset of this uh, global pandemic that was a source of great strength to us as we were about to face what was becoming very challenging times as we go, went through uh, the, this virus that was so deadly. Um, however, the biblical idea of worship um, uh, reveal a far deeper meaning which I'd like for us to uncover together this morning if that's okay. Now, the English word worship first makes an appearance in the Gospel of Matthew um, when Matthew recalls for us the story of Jesus' birth. And Matthew tells of Magi, which are wise men who come from the east, and they come following a star that they had seen rise in the sky. And they, they perceived that the star that arose uh, was signified the birth of the coming king of the Jews. Now, just some historical uh, context for this. Um, during the time of captivity in Babylon, the prophets of God began to foretell of a son of David who would come and restore the kingdom of Israel. He would be the Messiah, the anointed one. 
and who would rule in true justice and righteousness. He would properly teach the commandments of God to the people and Israel would finally fulfill its calling to be a light to the nations. Now, he will establish um, a government that, in Israel that will be the center of all world government, both for Jews and Gentiles alike. And in the final uh, writings of the uh, period of the prophets, Malachi foretold of the son of righteousness who would arise with healing in his wings. And that particular prophecy immediately became associated with this coming son of David, the Messiah. So that's some context to where potentially these wise men who came from the east, and some commentators say that they came from Persia or modern-day um, Iran, Iraq area, and would be and came. So, uh, in essence, if that was the case, and they came from um, Iran, Iraq to Jerusalem to seek out the the coming king, they would have travelled approximately 800 to 900 miles uh, on either camel or horseback in the Middle Eastern desert to get to this destination. 800 to 900 miles just to see Jesus. Now, can you imagine that? Now, it would take several months for them making that journey, but they were willing to make it. And this is, uh, so if you want to read the story of Jesus' birth in its entirety, uh, as told by Matthew, you can turn to Matthew chapter 2 from verses 1 through 12. But for now, for the illustration of this uh, subject, I'm just going to pull out a couple of verses for us from verses 1 and 2 of Matthew 2. Um, this is what it says. It says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews. We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. This is the first mention of the word worship in the New Testament and it comes from a Greek word proskuneo. Proskuneo. Okay? And if we jump down to verses 9 through 11 in the same chapter, we will be able to uncover what the word proskuneo actually means. So I'm reading, skipping a few verses, um, just to give some context. Um, uh, on the arrival of these Magi that, um, that came to Jerusalem, the king at the time was a bit concerned about um, why they were there and, and called them into his palace. And they began to speak about the reason why they arrived. And then he sends them off to go and find the, this uh, king of the Jews and come back and tell him. So we're Picking up the ver uh, from the story from verse 9. So after they heard uh, the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary. And they bowed down and worshipped or proskuneoed him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Do you, see that? Do you see that in your Bible? Yes? Okay, so proskuneo, or worship, means to kiss the hand towards one in token of reverence, to fall upon the knees and touch the ground with the forehead as an expression of profound reverence, kneeling or prostration to do homage. This is what proskuneo looks like. This picture behind me, or it should be behind me. Um, so this is what proskuneo looks like. So proskuneo, or worship, is this in the Bible. So biblical worship is to bow. It means to fall to the ground, kneel or prostrate as an act of profound reverence, respect, honor, and homage, submission to God. That's what the word worship or proskuneo means in, this, in the scriptures, in the New Testament. Now, let me break those words down, a few of those words down for us, because uh, English is quite abstract in its language. So the word submission 
in English means to place oneself under the authority of another. To place oneself under the authority of another. The word prostrate means to cast oneself face down on the ground in humility, submission, or adoration. The word homage means something done or given in acknowledgement or consideration of the worth of another, respect or reverence paid or rendered publicly. And the word reverence means a feeling or attitude of deep respect tinged with awe, veneration, the outward manifestation of this feeling, a gesture indicative of deep respect. That's what those words mean, okay, in breaking them down. So the Bible says that the Magi came from um, Persia, modern-day Iran, Iraq, traveled 800 miles by horseback or camelback in the middle eastern desert sun, and they came to worship Jesus. Or we could also say that the Magi came to place themselves under the authority of Jesus. Right? We could equally say that the Magi came to fall to the ground in humility, submission, and adoration of Jesus. We could likewise say that the Magi publicly demonstrated their respect and reverence of Jesus by bringing gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh in consideration of the worth of the one that they had come to see. And we could equally say that the Magi did all of this out of a deep sense of respect, awe, and reverence for Jesus. That's what worship was to them. One thing that we, is missing from this, though, and what we've noticed here, is there's no mention of any music. No singing, no dancing, no hand clapping, no band that came out and did so well as Molly and the team did this morning. None of those things happened and were part of the definition of their worship on that day. And that's because our music, singing, shouting, clapping, Raising of hands, dancing, etc. are all biblical expressions of praise. Praise is something quite different from worship in the Bible. We praise our children when we wish to encourage them for an achievement. We receive praise from our employers or from our uh, teachers for a job well done. We, uh, we praise our favorite athletes, football teams, not mine at the moment because they're not doing that great, um, actors, singers, musicians, dancers, when we think they've performed well. Praise is something um, that can be done at a distance. It doesn't require relationship or intimacy or proximity. Worship, however, denotes proximity and intimacy and relationship. It's possible to praise God without worshiping him, but we cannot worship God without wanting to praise him. I say it's possible to praise God without worshipping him, but it's, we can't worship God without wanting to praise him. In Matthew 2, 11, we read already that on coming to the house, the, of the, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gold, frankincense of myrrh. So they brought their gifts after they bowed. Is that making any sense today? Psalms 48 verse 1 says this, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. Yes, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. Now the psalmist begins with recognizing who Yahweh God is and says God is great. Did you see that? It says God is great. The word great there in Hebrew is the word gadol. The word gadol means 
big, awesome, epic, larger than life, super impressive, stunning, wealthy. It doesn't seem to match up to our little great word, is it? So, so when, when, when the, the writer of this psalm says God is great, he's saying God is big. God is awesome. God is epic. God is larger than life. God is super impressive. God is stunning. God is worth, wealthy. And because he is Godal, he is worthy of great praise. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. I wonder if you wouldn't mind joining with me for just 30 seconds out of our time this morning and bringing a great praise for a great God. Is there anybody here who's willing to just join with me and celebrate and say, I'm, I'm going to praise you, God, with a great praise. If he's done anything for you, both here and at home, if you're watching by YouTube, if God has been good to you, I wonder if you just put your Bibles down for a second, stand and lift your hands and begin to give him some kind of great praise. If God is great, if the Godal of great, if he's stunning, if he's wealthy, if he's amazing, if he's been good to you in any kind of way, Lift up a great praise for the great God. Come on. You've got 20 seconds left to bring something of worth to him. You've got 20 seconds. Come on. You've got 15 seconds to bring a great praise to a great God. Come on, church. Hallelujah. Is he worthy? Is he worthy of our praise? Yes, oh God. Great is the Lord. Greatly to be praised. Yes, God. Yes, God. You may be seated. We praise God for what he's done. But we worship God for who he is. Yes, the Magi did not come to worship a child. They came to worship a king. The Magi did not come to worship a child. They came to worship a king. Yes, they asked when they arrived, where is the one born king of the Jews? For we have come to worship him. Yes, Jesus did not have to be crowned king after his birth. He was born king. He came to the earth as king. He lived his life as king, Messiah. He was crucified king. He died as king and was risen again as king of kings. And is coming back again as the coming king. Amen. This is who our king is. This is who Jesus is. So this is no ordinary king. This is the Hamashiach. This is the anointed one. This is the Messiah. This is Emmanuel, God with us. Amen? Which brings me nicely to our main text in Luke chapter 8, verse 40 to 56. And it, this story is also recounted in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 5, from verse 22 to 41. So I'm going to summarize for us this morning. I'm not going to read it out, but I'm going to summar, bring a summary of the story. And this uh, tells a story of Jairus, a ruler in the synagogue of Capernaum. Uh, so he was a well-known religious leader in the area. And Jairus came to Jesus, pleading with him to come to lay his hands on his only daughter, who was near death. He humbled himself from, uh, before the Lord and asked Jesus to come and uh, lay his hand on uh, his daughter who was dying. So it's obvious by even this statement that not all the religious leaders of the time despised Jesus. This particular ruler, he acknowledged and recognized that Jesus was the Messiah. 
and came to him and said, oh, all right, I need you to come to my house because I know you've got the ability to, to address this issue that I've got at home. And it's an urgent one. Will you come? And Jesus starts to make his way. As Jesus walked with Jairus, they had to pass through a large crowd in the Bible. The, the description is that the crowds almost crushed him. So it was a, a massive crowd. And it's likely because it was such a large crowd that the crowd would slow down the progress of them making their journey to the house. Would you agree with that? So Jesus is trying to make his way. The crowd is pressing. And I'm sure this was a frustration for Jairus because his issue was urgent. And he needed Jesus to move quickly to his situation. But the crowd uh, were preventing Jesus from going as quickly as Jairus needed him because his daughter was at the point of death and needed urgent address. Uh, but in the midst of all of that, this situation, a woman, the scripture says, in the crowd had been bleeding for 12 years. She came up behind Jesus and touched the hem of his robe, saying to herself, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. The woman touched the corner of Jesus' garment and the flow of blood dried up immediately and Jesus felt that power had gone out from him and he turned and asked who touched his clothing. Now, um, obviously, there's a crowd and, and, um, and no one, you know, at first acknowledges that this uh, the, is the question that Jesus poses and, and Peter turns to Jesus and said, Jesus, come on, there's a crowd here, everybody's touching you, Jesus. And Jesus says, no, 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 someone touched me. Someone touched me. I know this because power left me. All right? Are you with me so far? And so the, the woman, recognizing she was not going to go unnoticed, comes and she begins to say uh, the tell the truth. And Jesus said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. As Jesus uh, was speaking, uh, someone comes from Jairus' house and says to Jairus, um, don't worry the master anymore. Your child has died. It's all good. It's, it's too late. Jesus turns to him, uh, and uh, while the, in the communication, Jesus um, uh, says to uh, uh, Jairus, listen, I need to, you to listen to me. I want you to, uh, he gives him a pro, uh, um, uh, two commands and a promise. He says to him, don't be afraid, just believe, and she will be healed. Don't be afraid, just believe, and she will be healed. And together they continued towards the house of Jairus. And when they got there, the mourners were wailing and weeping. But Jesus asked them, why are you all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but sleeping. So they, they began to mock him, the scripture says, uh, and laugh at him. And then it says, Jesus, undeterred, went into the house, uh, it got rid of all those mourners out of the home, and um, took only the, Jairus, his wife, Peter, James, and John in the room, entered the room, and then took the child by the hand and said, um, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl's spirit returned into her and she got up and began walking around. And then Jesus commanded them uh, to feed the child, give her something to eat. So this is the summary of this story. So two stories intertwine, a story of, of two daughters, in fact, uh, the Jairus' daughter and this unnamed woman. All right. Now, you couldn't find two individuals so far apart on the social spectrum of that society. You had Jairus, who was a religious leader, well-known, recognized, and appreciated within his community. And um, he, um, 
he had a significant um, uh, role here, and the leader of any syn um, synagogue would be deemed to be the rabbi, the teacher. So he was a significant person of, of, of weight in that society, who was a teacher also, who came and he uh, needed help because his, his situation was so desperate. And then you have this unnamed woman who'd been suffering from bleeding for 12 years. Some translations say hemorrhaging for 12 years, a condition that was slowly draining her strength and her life. And according to the Jewish law, her condition uh, would have made her ceremonially and ritually unclean in that society. By the very law of the people, she was divorced from her husband and could not live in her home. She was uh, ostracized from society and must not come into contact with her friends um, and was excommunicated from the services of the synagogue and as a result, shut out from the women's courts in the temple. So Jairus was a leader. He was one that was accepted within the synagogue and this bleeding woman, um, in essence, was an outcast because of her condition. But Jesus graciously met their respective needs, irrespective of where they found themselves on the spectrum. Some of us, we feel maybe that we qualify more, maybe because we are, uh, you know, believers and we come to church every week, we pay our tithes, we pray often, we turn up to the prayer meetings, and we feel because of our righteousness, because of our acts of holiness, that we deserve the intervention of God. But there are some who are on the periphery of society, who are outcasts, who, who, are, who, are, who are not um, maybe turning up to prayers and they maybe feel that they're unqualified in some way. But Jesus says, I'm no respecter of persons. If you come to me in faith, I'm going to meet your need. Irrespective of where you find yourself, you may be the, the leader of the congregation, as, as Jairus was, or you may be an outcast, but wherever you find yourself on the spectrum, the Lord loves you and wants to meet you at the point of your need. Amen? So, uh, hemorrhaging, it says of the woman, uh, for 12 years. It's interesting to me uh, because the woman was hemorrhaging or bleeding for the same length of time that the little girl was alive. The little girl was 12 and she was hemorrhaging for 12 years. So as long as this, um, she, this little daughter of Jairus was alive, she had been bleeding. Can you imagine that, ladies? I'm sure that you can't imagine that. I mean, those of you who are ladies, you know the, the, the time of the month where bleeding is part of your journey. I thank God that I'm not a man every time that uh, happens. But nonetheless, can you imagine that this is happening not just for a, a, a week or a month or a year, but for 12 years, nonstop? Hemorrhaging. Hemorrhaging in itself is not a condition. Hemorrhaging reveals that there's an underlying cause, and that's why you're bleeding. And the, 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 the main reason for hemorrhaging is usually a traumatic, traumatic injury. The issue is not always the issue. The issue is not always the issue. Trauma is described as a deeply distressing and disturbing experience which can be caused by either physical injury or by severe and uh, lasting emotional shock and pain caused by an extremely upsetting experience. We think because the original injury or, or abuse or hurt that happened to us has passed and maybe the scars have healed that we are okay. But could there be an unaddressed internal wound in us that's bleeding? 
Maybe you are still bleeding from the trauma of rejection when he or she left. Maybe you're still bleeding from the trauma of being abused or bullied as a child. Maybe you're still bleeding from having your ministry taken away. Or maybe you're still bleeding from that failed business. Or maybe your heart is still bleeding over the loss of a loved one. Whatever the cause of your trauma, I'm here to let you know that Jesus can be touched with the feelings of your infirmities. You can touch him. He understands your dilemma. He understands your, the, the, the problems that you're facing. He understands your disappointments. He can be touched. And this is what the woman with the issue did. Many people were crowding around Jesus at the time. Did you notice that? Big crowd. All around Jesus, but no one touched him. You can be in church all your life around the things of God, but never touch the presence of God. Only this woman was able to touch him through the crowd. The word touch there in the Hebrew, in the Greek, so is a word um, that means uh, to, to, um, uh, to fasten oneself to, to adhere to, to cling to, gripping. So this is not a casual holding or casual glance or casual touch. She didn't just come and just swipe his, his clothes. She gripped for life. She, she pulled on him. She pulled on his garment. She, she knew that there was something significant about that touch that needed, that was going to address her issue. It's a touch in a powerful way, a touch that exerts direct influence over the object. It's touching someone in a way that alters. Jairus came petitioning Jesus on behalf of his daughter. The woman with the issue of blood came needing a personal breakthrough. Jairus spoke to Jesus directly, asking him to go with him and touch his daughter. The woman with the issue spoke to herself into spoke herself into touching Jesus, for she said, the Gospel of Mark says, if I touch his clothes, I will be made well. Jairus wanted a touch from Jesus, but the woman with the issue reached out to touch Jesus herself. Now, according to the Jewish laws, as I said before, the customs, her touch should have contaminated him because she would have made whoever she touched unclean by her touching. But the Word of God says she didn't, Jesus uh, instead of Jesus becoming unclean and contaminated by the woman, she is healed and purified by the holy power that resides in him. This morning, I want to encourage you to reach out and touch the king. Reach out and touch him by faith. You can touch Jesus today. He is a touchable God. Oh my goodness, he's a tangible, touchable king. He's not out there, some, you know, in some either somewhere out there that is untouchable by our situation. You can touch him this morning with your faith. Amen? And the word of God says that when she did that, power came out from him. The word power in the Greek is the word for strength. Our strength resides in the presence of the Lord. And the, the, the catalyst to both Jairus' situation and to this unnamed woman was that we're both willing to fall at his feet. I'm going to ask the band to come up.
right now as I'm closing out. But the catalyst to both their breakthroughs was that they were willing to fall at his feet. What's falling at his feet again? Worship. They were both willing, both Jairus came, the word of God says, so you see, the word of God says in Luke 8, 41, the, the man named Jairus, the singer leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading for him. So before he asked Jesus for something, he bowed in worship. The woman, after she had reached for him and took hold of his garment and received her healing, the word of God then, when she couldn't escape, the word of God says she came and fell at his feet. Oh my goodness, you've got to see this. This is really important. Yet that the worship was the catalyst, not just for the healing, because she received her healing by faith. But Jesus wasn't finished with her then. Once she came and bowed down, Jesus said, okay, now that you've submitted yourself and you've bowed in worship, I want you to go in peace. He pronounced shalom over her. The word shalom is not just the absence of conflict. The word shalom means restoration. Wholeness of being. Whatever you've lost in your life, baby girl, I'm giving it back to you today. All of those years, those 12 years of loss and emptiness, just because you were willing to bow down in worship, I'm going to restore you. Isn't God good? Isn't he faithful? And the catalyst to all of this is bow the knee. This morning, if you want strength for your issues, whatever those issues are, I want to encourage you, just like Jairus did, and just like the woman with the issue of blood did, I want to encourage us to be prepared to bow the knee. Worship isn't just singing songs because we just realize that that's praising God and we need to praise God. But if you want to receive the fullness of breakthrough in your life, if you want the Lord who is able to bring back dead situations and make them alive again, then bow the knee in worship. I wonder if there's any worshipers in the room today, any worshipers at home watching, who have an issue, a situation so desperate that they need the breakthrough of the King. If that's you this morning, let me encourage you to take the posture, take the position of worship to say to the Lord in your bowing, Lord, I recognize that you are the King, that you are Messiah. I recognize that you are the one who's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all I could ask, think or imagine. And because you are the King, I bow the knee this morning. I bow down to the King of glory. I fall to my knees in worship. Are there any worshipers in the room? And are any worshipers at home who are willing to bow the knee? As we sing this final song this morning, let me encourage you to use it as a catalyst for your worship. I don't know what your issues are, but I know that the God who we serve is able to do more than you could imagine. If only you would submit to his authority as king 
and bow the knee. So come on, let's worship together. Let's lift up the King this morning for He is worthy to be praised.